Don't know about you guys, but I took my sons, they're six and eight, to their first major league game. A little remiss that it couldn't be a Red Sox game, but we do live out here now. And they've been checking out the Braves on TV. So thought I'd go down to Atlanta, take the family down there, take a look at Truist Park. Truist Park, by the way, it's a lot different than Fenway. Fenway is old school, cool, classic. You walk up the concourse, you feel like you're going on the field. This is a $1.1 billion newer stadium. Um, it kind of looks like... A stadium in, I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Hingham Shipyard, but it looks like like a high-end yuppie mall, like attached to a stadium. That's the battery. But it's really cool if you got kids. So, like, at this phase in my life, I don't know if I would have liked this as much when I was in my 20s, but now that, you know, I'm in my 40s and I got kids, I think it's absolutely fantastic. But one thing that's really cool, I love the new innovation they got in baseball with the pitch clock, but one problem is it makes innings go so fast. And if you think about the logistics of going to a game live, you could be up in line for an inning or two with this new sped up thing, but not the case at Truist Park. Some of you may have seen this at um, those Amazon retail locations at certain airports, but take a look at this video of how you pick up concessions at Truist. And then maybe a drink. It's kind of warm out, so I'm gonna get a water to hydrate. I think it's cold. Yeah, 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 it's cold. It was great. We were up in the 300s. It's like, I don't know, 17 bucks a ticket. The other nice thing is, is parking there. They get you in and out really well. Highly recommend taking a trip down to uh, catch the Braves over in Truist. Um, another thing here i got to point you towards is this trending story on FreightWaves.com. Insiders say Flock Freight is a toxic dumpster fire with only a little bit of cash left. This is from Clarissa Hawes. Here's a few interesting points from this one. The company has fired 8% of its workforce recently, and they're starting to speak out now. One of them said, in the beginning, we were all excited to work for a well-funded technology company, work in the freight industry, and help save the planet at the same time. Some of us were drawn to work because the company promised a work-life unlimited time off, which is rare in the freight bridge industry. In fact, they say here that uh, Zelensky, he's the CEO of the company, he urges employees to refer to Flock Freight as a technology company and not use the B word, that B word being brokerage. Yet, many ex-Flockers said the company's TMS technology lagged years behind the industry standard and it used by other digital and traditional freight brokerages. And then there was this weird point about how he's obsessed with volleyball. It, one former employee describes Zelensky as Uncle Rico, who relived his glory days Playing high school football in 2004 uh, movie Napoleon Dynamite. However, instead of football, Zelensky shares stories about his time playing men's volleyball at Long Beach State in the 1990s. And apparently he was using these examples to shame employees and <laughs> tell them that's why they got to pick one up. The employee said, looking back, I would describe my time at Flock's Freight as Flock Freight as a toxic dumpster fire. However, Pat Dillon, CFO at Flock Freight, said employees' concerns about running out of funding are incorrect. It's a developing story, part two. I think we'll be out this week. So go to FreightWaves.com and check that one out. On the show today, we're going to look at the data behind the freight recession. 
Freightways Donnie Gilbert will be here for that. I got Captain John Conrad, the fifth CEO of G Captain. He's going to review War Seller for us. I don't know if you've seen that brand new series on uh, Netflix, and it shows the plight of merchant marine sailors during wartime. It's a three-part series. He'll get deep in it. He's got a lot to say on that one. He's going to talk about the importance of U.S. shipping. He'll tell us what's going on with the ports, probability of China invading Taiwan, all sorts of things we're going to get into with him. And we've also got renowned photographer Nick Souza. He's going to show off his latest work and the stories behind capturing some of the most captivating pictures in the industry. So let's tip the band and we'll get all into it. Your customers and investors want to know that your company is serious about sustainability. Show them the depth of your commitment when you rely on AIT Worldwide Logistics for your freight forwarding needs. From Scope 3 carbon footprint reporting to calculating emissions at the transaction level, partnering with AIT sends a clear message to stakeholders, you mean business when it comes to sustainability. Learn more at AITWorldwide.com. But now, before we paint an ugly picture about the freight market, let's look at some beautiful pictures. Those from Nick Souza Photography, from Nick Souza himself. Nick, welcome back. Hey, Dinner, Thanks. Good to be back. Where are you? Uh, where are you sitting today? Where are you taking pictures from? Uh, today, I am actually in between assignments. It's been a crazy month. I've had just probably my biggest range of assignments I've had in a long time. Aerial photos of cranes being delivered, videotaping podcasts, simulated airport disasters. I mean, th this month has been crazy. What goes into like a simulated airport disaster? They basically, it's an FAA requirement that they have to prove uh, that they have all the standards in place and know, um, coordinate all the local agencies to um, handle an air crash. So they basically make up people with fake injuries and all kinds of crazy things and simulate a, a mid-air collision and dispatch every available emergency response unit you can think of and just have a whole simulated drill, including a fake press conference and fake tweets and all kinds of stuff, just to make sure that everybody involved knows what to do if it actually happened. And I, I work for several airports in the Southern California area, so this was for one of them, and it was really interesting. Nick, how are you picking up accounts? How, how are you picking up accounts? How are you picking up assignments in 2023? Um, typically for me, it's a lot of word of mouth. I've, I've been doing this for a long time and know a lot of people and uh, most people know that that I'm pretty skilled in various aspects of logistics, so they uh, they give me a call. Fortunately, and I love LinkedIn. <laughs> That's kind of my favorite place to post pictures because all my clients and potential clients are there. Yeah, yeah. Some people might think Instagram, but LinkedIn's actually where the the people who are going to make decisions on bring you in probably are in that in that B two B space. Well, recently you were up in a helicopter and you saw the USS Kitty Hawk, right? I got we got a picture of it here. Tell me the story behind this picture. We're going to look at some of your shots and tell us uh, tell us what went into it. Yeah, this was a happy accident. I I was just uh, doing my thing. I think this was um, I had a, this is the port of Long Beach, kind of just off of the the coast there. But I think I had an assignment at the Port of L.A. I, I was just working on some aerials for a project. And we see this aircraft carrier parked over by where cruise ships are anchored. And like, what the heck is this? So um, my pilot brings us right over and puts us in this dramatic uh, spot to get this photo. And they were basically bringing it from up in Washington State to take it to a shipyard to um, basically you know, put it to scrap in Texas. 
and they made a little uh, pit stop in Long Beach just to stop because they were towing it and they can't go through the Panama Canal. We're going all the way around. So it was it was going to be an ordeal for them. So that was sort of a, a little lucky shot I got. And here's the thing, too. It's going to a scrapyard, right? So that was one of the last chances you'd have to. Oh, take yeah, pictures. for sure. Yeah, for I had sure. no idea. I had to get, get online and see what was happening with all this. Now, these helicopters, they sound like fixers to me, because if you look at this next picture here with the plane in it, that is not necessarily, because I, I read your LinkedIn, so I know a little spoiler. It's not necessarily an organic photo, is it? No, it was totally weird, and, and I, I, I had no idea this was going to happen. So this was, um, I, I was working on an annual report, and um, I needed to get a shot of um, CMA, CGM, so I kind of looked at schedules and saw there was some good timing in the afternoon to get this sh get a shot of it entering the port of LA. And I've been flying with my pilot for like 30 years. And I knew he had um, this biplane, but I didn't know it was out <laughs> flying around that day. So we get in our spot and I hear him on the radio and he said, oh, the biplane's going to make a pass. Get ready. I'm, I'm going to put you in the right spot. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I just basically just kind of fired like crazy. I had no idea what the guy was going to do because it wasn't like I was coordinating. Okay, you know, fly this way. So he, he just made this, this pass and blew smoke and I just fired and kind of got lucky that he put himself in, a, in the right spot for me and not too high or too far away. Do you have a uh, preferred camera and lens setup for something like that? Um, I, when I, when I fly, I usually bring two different cameras with me, one with a wide angle zoom and one with a telephoto zoom. So that one, and I basically was kind of shooting with my wide angle zoom just to be on the safe side. I've definitely, um, like to take risks sometimes with the, the crop or how, how, um, how tight or how loose I'm shooting, depending on what's happening, but I'll wait to do something that's a little bit more risky after I already know I nailed the shot. I mean, that was just going to be a bonus. So I just figured if I got it, I got it. And I knew the client wasn't going to want that picture. I just wanted it for me. Oh, cool. Well, and you know, it's not just freight brokers or shippers who are using technology. You're also using sites like Marine Traffic to figure out where vessels are, like this evergreen one underneath a, a bridge, uh, fortunately not stuck in the uh, Suez Canal or, or anywhere. I know yeah, it's yeah. springtime. Tell me the story behind this one. Yeah, marine traffic is just my lifesaver. But between that and then looking at um, port pilot schedules, I can really plan and, and be efficient to know exactly where to be at the at the right time, and not not waste a bunch of fuel or you know time. Because obviously helicopters aren't aren't cheap, so I can just be looking on my phone and tracking it, and we can literally just wait till the last minute to take off so we can put ourselves in, in the best spot so I can get, get what I need. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll go up and just fly around too, because I want to get a few different things. But when I know I need a certain thing, yeah, marine traffic's great. And this was just one of those cases. I, I knew the ship was coming in and this is really where I wanted it. So just kind of waited. And then uh, I knew, I knew how it was going to turn and everything else because I've seen this happen so many times. So yeah, it's uh one of those things where timing was uh, was on my side, but I also kind of planned for it too. It wasn't, it wasn't luck. Well, you get to see the details that um, insiders may notice, but outsiders may not. Like, for example, when a ship is going on its maiden voyage, you get this nice water cannon salute. Take a look at this right here. Tell me about that one. Yeah, this was <laughs> this was crazy. This was, uh, I think, my uh, my client 
Pesha. They, they just love this photo. And it was so lucky because so many things were against me <laughs> getting this photo. The biggest one, you were talking about baseball at the beginning of the show. I had no idea about this, and you think I would, is that um, any stadium that has, I think it's over 20,000 people, there's an FAA temporary flight restriction within like a lot of miles, like five miles or something from the stadium. So th- this ship was uh, was leaving um, Oakland and it was on its maiden voyage heading back down to Long Beach. And my pilot says, oh, you know about the TFR, right? For the Giants game. I'm like, no, <laughs> because basically we knew this fireboat was going to meet the ship and it was meeting the ship literally right at the time when the TFR was expiring. So we literally were kind of just like hanging out over the water, waiting to get in position till like this certain second when the TFR ended. So where it was that, and then it was also extremely windy, which is why we got this cool rainbow. The water was blowing so hard and we were getting blown out of the sky practically because of, of the wind. And I had no idea that this fireboat was even going to escort it underneath the bridge. I thought it was going to kind of get there and stop. So the fact that it put itself there, we were able to get the shots. <laughs> the TFR expired. Wind was all over the place, but I was able to hold it still. So yeah, that this is definitely one of my favorite pictures I shot last year. Well, Nick, if you spend too much time at sea, these next ones might start start looking like mermaids to you laying on the ship. Uh, this is some of the marine life that you capture while you're out there taking pictures. How big of a role do these, uh, what are these sea lions over here? Do they play in international yeah. shipping? They, it's funny because at certain terminals uh, at the harbor in uh, Port of LA and Port of Long Beach, they, they hang out. They hang out on the bow like that. They hang out if the rudder's out of the water because of the weight, they'll hang out there. And this was funny because I didn't even know they were there. I, I was up on a crane. I was looking at something else. I was watching the cargo come, come off and, and shooting a completely different picture, but they bark like dogs. <laughs> so I, I heard it. And then I saw, cause I've never seen that many on a bow before I've seen one, two. And so I positioned myself out on the crane to be able to shoot down at them. And the fact that they're actually letting that one on, that never happens either. Usually it's like every man for themselves. And when ones are already up there and, and stragglers come by and try to get on, they kick it off immediately. And they, they actually let that one on. So I've never seen that before. And the fact that it was just a, a beach for all them, that was pretty cool. You get this uh, Pasha Hawaii coming into what it looks like port here. Where was this picture taken? When they show it. For it to come yeah. Up. yeah, here we go. Probably. Oh, that's uh, this is uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. This was kind of the it. It's not as dramatic as the as the Golden Gate shot, but this was kind of the signature shot they wanted with Diamond Head in the background and coming into the uh, port of Honolulu, which you know obviously the water is beautiful. I mean, it's not. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a tricky shot to get just just because of lining up everything and being at the right distance, and so. This shot for me, I, I was very happy because from the beginning when they were launching this this ship, that's what they kept talking about. You know, we we got to get the diamond headshot. We got to get the diamond headshot. So I was, I was super happy that because the weather was just junk for a while too. The fact that it opened up a little bit and got some blue sky, it was looking really cloudy and actually drizzled a little bit before we took off. So I, I was just happy I got it. Are some areas easier to shoot than other, like either from just regulatory, just the, the challenge of doing it? 
Um, well, that's one thing you know I love about helicopters. It there's definitely a place for drones, but it, it, for me, for shooting for shooting vessels, helicopters are just so much easier. No no permits necessary. You um, can pretty much you know do whatever you want to do as long as it's safe. You have just tons of range, and I can change lenses and you know do stuff like this. I can still shoot straight down like you can with a drone. And I mean, it, it's tricky <laughs> to shoot straight down from helicopter. You, you need a pilot that's super good, and and sometimes my stomach does backflips because you have to do these really tight orbits and bank the helicopter to get straight down. But uh, yeah, that's uh, as far, ports are very strict with drones, so that, that's why I love the helicopter in a, in a port situation. Jump over to this crane one, guys. Show, show this big crane one, because you said this is one of your favorite images you've taken from your camera. How high up were you? Were you in the helicopter with that one, too? Yeah, this isn't actually that that high. Um, we're, pro we're probably like 500 feet or so. But th this was one of those shots, though, with, to get this, the pilot has to bank the helicopter really hard, you know, at, at least 45 degrees, and, and then just do these tight orbits. And, and I'm, you know, doing my best to keep the the image, you know, framed up right and, and firing when I, when I see the composition I want, where, you know, that's the opposite thing of a drone with a drone, you just fly over the top of it, the camera's aimed straight down and it's easy. But I, I, I love, I love the challenge of trying to get this shot because it's uh, the straight down from a helicopter. It is definitely tricky. What's your dream shot? Like what, what's the money shot or your, or your white whale? What do you hope to capture that you just haven't yet? Um, that's a good question. Because I like I was so happy with some of these fireboat shots and they're in the rainbow. I, I think um, I've I've gotten a lot of shots of of marine mammals with vessels. I think I I probably I would have to say <laughs> say white whale. I've got lots of dolphins. If somehow I could get a breaching whale with a container ship in the background, that would be. I think that would be pretty awesome. I think that would be pretty awesome too. Well, for those out there who either want you to to shoot their their ships or their trucks or or their supply chain in action, they want to check out your portfolio, or they just want to buy some prints to freight beautify their office or their house. Nick, where do I send them to? Uh, my website is the is the best place. It's uh, nsusaphoto.com. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. We'll catch up with you in a few more months when you've taken some new shots. I love hearing the insight behind some of these pictures. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Take it easy. All right, everybody. Meanwhile... Okay, you finna get gone? Uh-huh, okay, get gone. Get gone. You killed the police. Mm. Keep on. Keep going. Hold on to the steering wheel. This is real. Oh, yeah. You gotta come get me. I'll look back to you for dead, honey. Oh, 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 oh. I like the gas, too. Oh, here comes the police. <laughs> You don't have an earpiece. He ran this poor guy over as he's doing his CDL trade. And then the instructor just yelled at him to keep going. He just wants to gasp the entire time. He just roll that one more time. Roll that one more time. He wants to gasp the entire time. So you'll see this pedestrian come up from the side of the bus. She's like, just keep going. What are you doing? Because he's oh, going slow. So she hits him here. And look, she's like, grab the wheel. Keep going. This is real. And he's like, if this is real, shouldn't I stop? Yeah. Because the dead pedestrian. <laughs> and then he's, he's trying to get his bearings. He's cop. The cop car comes swinging around this corner over here. Guy's completely rattled. I don't know if he, uh, how'd you do on your driver's license test? I, um, I missed two yeah. questions. Ooh. 
um, one of the questions was that when you pull up to an intersection to turn left and light turns red, mm. what should you do? I put go straight because I knew you should go ahead and turn, but that was one. I forget the other. But the driving test, I did fine on. Now, I yeah. took now I took my driving test and all this. I took it in South Carolina. Okay. Uh, this was not just a little around-the-corner driving test. We went 10 out 10 to get a learner's permit in, Southern Cal- in South Carolina? At the time, it was I could get a full license at 15. Wow. And so we went on a 30-minute driving test. Uh, Three-point turns, U-turns, everything involved. Uh, and I was very parallel, parallel parking. I was very nervous. But, yeah, I did fine. Uh, Matt Lars said, not not unlike every day behind the wheel, throwing a few brake checks, some crotch rockets, maybe a traffic jam, and you have a typical day of the professional driver, all while taking a barrage of check calls from the broker, shipper, and receiver. Maybe not as many calls as they were the past couple of years. We're going to get into the freight recession today. You know it's nothing new. We uh, Craig Fuller put that article out last March. I mean, we are in almost May right now. But Shelly Simpson, something interesting happened. Shelly Simpson said on Friday, in my 29-year career, I've seen several downturns. The Great Recession was the most dramatic, and I remember leaving our weekly executives' meetings feeling calm but challenged to build something stronger for the long term. Today, we find ourselves in a freight recession, one that is reminiscent of 2009 in shipments. That, of course, was the Great Recession. So we've said this for a while. Finally, the earnings reports, you know, everyone's got to finally say it, and it's out there. Yeah, so we'll start off. We'll just do a real quick overview of uh otv out here on, on my first chart sure uh outbound well, tender volumes yes and you can see they're still above ten thousand. we've always said here freightways above ten thousand thumbs up below ten thousand thumbs down this is not the actual problem mm. it's capacity when the freight boom came in everybody heard about their 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 cousin their uncle their uncle's cousin's nephew <laughs> grabbing in and driving a truck and making a ton of money so it, it flooded. I mean, it flooded so bad at the trucking markets. We pushed used three-year-old truck prices up like 70 grand or something. And my buddy Bruce Almighty, he, he tweeted, he said, where are all those gurus? Where are all the online gurus who said trucking's easy? It's easy to make money that yeah. he was getting frustrated with the past two years. Yeah, in this boom, maybe it was easy to make money. If you didn't know what you're doing, you, you're probably still making money. Yeah. But this right now is the time. If you know what you're doing, you'll survive. If you don't, then you're in trouble. But- what is the green line? What, what's the difference between this green line and the blue line? So this is the rejection rates here. Uh, rejection rates are down to 2.88%, which means 97% of all contracted freight is being accepted right now. And that's because, um, let's go to the next chart. Sure, let's get to the National Truckload, the Freightways <clears throat> National Truckload Index. This is line hole only, folks. So when we use the numbers here, just keep in mind that there's no fuel included in these. You see that red line there that says, Two dollars and sixty-two cents. Yeah, that's the average. Two fifty-two. Two fifty-two. That's the average uh, rate per mile for a contract in Drivan plus fuel. Oh, that is including no, fuel. No, it's that. Oh, plus, plus fuel. fuel. Okay, plus fuel. So you see the blue line down there yeah. that says a dollar fifty-seven. That's the average Drivan um, spot market rate. Yes, and you still get to add fuel to that. Yeah, but look at the difference. We're almost a full dollar in the spread. Yes. So they're dropping back and they're taking everything they can that's under a contract. And if they're accepting 97% of, of all the contracted freight, it probably means also less of this uh, freight is uh, trickling over to the spot market as well. So let me ask you something, Donnie. So we got 252 here. Uh, you can see why rejects, rejects are so low. If you're getting 252 from a shipper, why would you reject it to go fight for $1.57 in the spot market? However, Big companies like Home Depot right now, many lanes, thousands of lanes, right? Yes. They are going out to bid 
for their RFPs early because they want to drop down that average to where they're seeing in the spot market. What dynamic is this going to play if big shippers start pulling right. down that? Is that going to is really that be good for rejections? Is that going to put more in the spot market? It very well can for one reason. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> not a good one. Not a good one. Well, not not good for carriers. Um, so spot market leads. Watch the spot market. It's going to tell you what's going to happen and everything else. So there should be about a 25, 35 cent difference between spot market and contract. Yeah. We're almost a dollar. So what's going to happen? That red line as these new bids, there's bidding and then there's putting the bids in place. When these bids start to go in place, we have about a two week lag. You'll start seeing that red, red line just start to fall. Mm. And that blue line, you can still, it's not done falling quite just yet. Where's the bottom? Where is the bottom? What are these going to, let's do a little prediction real quick. Where's the red line going to be in two months from now? That's a hard one on the red line. I'm still trying to guess the blue line Uh, because here, $1.57 on the blue line. Yeah. That's a below a lot of carriers costs. They're they're fixed uh, cost of break even. Sure. Now, of course, they're trying to run the contracts. They're willing to run contracts um, a lot, and they're reducing their exposure to the spot market, but they're going to have days. And they're going to have lots of trucks that run the uh, spot market to get them back into position. They're willing to accept those losses. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. I hope that doesn't drop below 150. And if you put that at 150, uh, I would give it maybe five to six months. You'll see that red line uh, probably with fuel. Um, it's going to be below probably, it's probably going to be at one, I say between one ninety and $2. Wow. I think it's a big drop. That's another 50 cents to pour out of this thing. That's what he's saying to you. So keep an eye on these RFPs, keep an eye on these big companies. But what about what's going on with the dry van outbound tender volume index? We got two lines on here, a blue one and a green one. What am I looking at? Well, I was just kind of showing here, we we see rates are coming down. Yeah. But we saw volumes pick up back up to about 10,400. And I've, like to always tell people to break it down, look and see what's going on, especially if you're in, in sonar here. And obviously, reefer picked up just a little bit. That's the green line. Okay. But what's driving this is a pickup in in, in drive-in volumes. Uh, that's good. Uh, the problem is, is we still have too much capacity in this market, and that's what's pushing that those those rates down. That that blue line down the spot, mm-hmm. and it's going to allow that red line to fall that we were just looking at. <clears throat> it's that excess in capacity, and that's going to hurt us. Uh, until that c- capacity leaves, we're done. You see that reject. You see that reflected. I, I was going to say rejected. You see that reflected in the van outbound tender reject index for uh, USA. Yeah, the next got a chart. blue and a red. What's going on with this one? All right, so uh, we'll get it pulled up here. The next one here. Uh, the red line is reefer outbound tender rejection rates, and the blue is um, the drive van. So actual volumes of what's been rejected on drive vans is the uh, 2.61%. So almost 97.5% of drive-in volumes are being accepted. Reefer, is that a, there, it's, it's around a record low. Back in 2009, when we went through a, a, a very, or not 2000, I'm sorry, 2019, yes. when we went through a, a very tough time on the, on the bus part, reefer rejection rates never got below 9%. Mm-hmm. Now they're down to 3.43%, and they've been hovering between 3.4 and 3.2%. So this is all-time record loads. Reefer carriers, again, they're staying away from the spot market. They're going to, um, they're going to contracted rates. Ugh. 
What's what about produce? A lot of people were hoping that produce would save the season. Produce would put some volume back into it. Produce would make things tighter. All right, so uh, we got a lane here. I, I, I picked a, a, a specific lane. I'm using our, our USDA ag rate uh, lane. This is actually government data. Okay. Uh, there's reefer lanes, and there's also produce lanes that are mostly ran on reefer. This is produce lanes that are ran on reefers because they pay a little bit more than just a regular reefer lane. But we're starting to see them pick up here a little bit. You saw you know, a little bit of pickup in March, and then uh, this one is uh, Lakeland, Florida to Atlanta, Georgia. Then you see a little bit more of a pickup there in the last couple of days. And I'm not saying these are great rates, but it shows at least something's happening. But produce is going to be a bust this year. Ugh. It's uh, you got a lot of flooding out in California. Yeah, that's going to that's going to to wipe out thousands of truckloads. Um, what happens when you look a little deeper at this at like a, at the track rate of that Lakeland, Florida to Atlanta, Georgia? All right, well let's pull it up here. Uh, here I've got we got um, two lines here. Um, the green line is the rate per mile. And the blue line is what I just pulled up. I've got the the ag rate uh, Lakeland to Atlanta, and you can see the difference there. Where they where the ag rate with produce is paying about four hundred four hundred fifty dollars more than the actual uh, reefer lane that we show because difference of, of hauling produce. Produce you have um, you can have the loads go bad, dump over a lot of rejections that lead to claims. So there's just a higher risk of pulling reef, uh, produce loads a lot of the time. Uh, so I just kind of want to get in, show you, show you how you can get in and use our market dashboard to see the differences on these. Next thing we can look at here, Lakeland. No, ship up to Boston. Forget Atlanta. What happens if you go Lakeland to Boston? On well, this this, uh, was truck an, th spot this right here was like a $9,000 lane last year. So we bring it up here and look at it now. Uh, one more forward here. And it's only $37.50 right now. But you know me, Dooner, I, I was, I'm, I'm trying to find anything positive that lane is starting to increase. And if we pull it up on the market dashboard here on the next chart, we can compare uh, that lane versus our market dashboard. You see our 3750 still there in the middle. And you see that our, our market dashboard data is showing that lane going up to 245 a mile. However, again, hauling the produce, you get about $400, $500 more per load. Uh, that's just kind of, it looks like a lot of these are four or $500 differences. And that seems to be what that, re that risk is to help you out. What about China to the North American West? What about what propelled a lot of this stuff was those imports from overseas? How are we looking at the port? All right. So, you know, Henry wrote an article uh, about a year ago. Yeah. And he showed it to us. And he there is nothing wrong in anything that he put in that article. And it has nothing but come true. Okay. It has dropped off. to And, and capacity on the seas has really opened up. So we look at this chart over here, and we see a blue line, and we're going back in here. I'll just go back to November, but in November, you really see it drop down. The, the shipping season will, was over well before November for uh, for Christmas. Sure. But I just want to show that drop, and here it slowly went down through the end of the year, through January, through February, another drop in February into March, and it continued to go down. And here it was down around $1,000 per container. Why that sudden jump, though, right in the middle of April? Do not. Do not pay much attention to that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times we got to keep an eye on this, uh, and we'll, we'll, we're more than likely going to see it drop right back down. These shipping container companies, they try to manipulate their own market with their blind shipments, or <clears throat> they're, they're trying to push rates back up and show that capacity is tighter. So they'll push their rates back up. They'll see how long it lasts. So if there's no demand <clears throat> and Oh, is that the GRI? Because I know they did put a GRI through. 
Well, this is, I'm using the Freitos Baltic Index. Oh. But they've, they've put through and pushed their rates up, and they're hoping it's going to stick. Okay. And you'll see them do this a lot, especially in times like this. And it's probably, it's not going to stick. So that rate's going to come right back down because nobody's going to be booking at those rates. They're going to wait till they know in a week they're probably going to come right back down. So we'll keep an eye on that. If it were to, to, to sustain that and keep going up, then something might be going on in the ocean. But I do not believe so. I think that they, they're, they're making an attempt to push rates up. Mm. Let's see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, they're going to drop right back down. So in summary, Q2 recovery. Not looking good. Uh, that a lot of people are not looking good. Um, not there's Q2. still too much capacity. There's not enough volume. There's more room to go down in contract rates, and there's more room to go down in spots. So button up because it's going to be a cold summer. For I hope some you. Of I hope you saved your money when you made it. Yeah. Well, I put it in Dogecoin. I don't know how good that's doing right now. Hey, Donnie, thank, thank you. So Mine's much. under my mattress. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Catch him on Freight Waves now every day, breaking down all these sonar charts and data for all you all right let's elsewhere let's see what's going on in the rest of the freight world yeah head over to the national customs brokers and ford association of america getting big easy there they said what a way to get started welcome to our 50th anniversary golden jubilee conference we're so glad you're here I've been hang, hung over at one of these events before, not their particular one, but I have, and I'm, I'm not sure how much I would have appreciated the uh, marching band, but these days, Sober Tuner would love it, and I'd love to see everyone getting tortured by it, too. Especially John. I wonder if John likes it. Yeah, John Conrad. I wonder if he likes the marching band. Probably does. Send one to his house. All right. Did you know AIT Worldwide Logistics plans to reach net zero emissions by 2035? Did you? All right, well, that's five years before the date targeted by the Climate Pledge and 15 years in advance of the Paris Agreement's goal. But that's just one part of their overall commitment to corporate social sustainability, whether it's protecting the planet, nurturing the communities where we live and work, or ensuring high-quality business continuity. AIT is taking action today to deliver a better tomorrow. Learn more at AITWorldwide.com. But now let's talk to the CEO of G-Captain, Mr. Captain John Conrad. Johnny, welcome back to the show. Hey, Dooner, how are you? So glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I love a, I love a great marching band, P particularly I, I like the military marches. Uh, Marine Corps, Air Force are my two favorites. Navy's not bad. The Merchant Marines, great. The Space Force was a complete dud, unfortunately, though. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there was a really bad rendition of the National Anthem at the last Bruins game. Uh, it was mm -hmm. it was not good at all. So I, I feel like they should just use the military bands. They always crush it when they when they do the national anthem. That's my plan. Absolutely. Well, hey, I got to. By the way, I have to wish you and your wife a happy anniversary to you two crazy kids. <laughs> Look at that. You had like a secret oath in the military. What happened here? Tell me about this. Well, it, it was not OK to, uh, you know, uh, date an underclassman. Um so she was a year behind me. So we had to uh, live the first two years of our life uh, in secret. That That's aboard the training ship of SUNY Maritime College uh, and the first cruise that we were together. So, man, 25 years ago, that, that time goes fast, Junior. Does it seem like that long ago? Because I'm coming up, my, this year's my tenure with my wife. And the, like the one line that makes, the only thing that makes it seem like forever is because of kids. Like if we didn't have the kids, it, it wouldn't seem that long, but like that, it gives you like that, that breaking point. Well, my, my kid, my oldest Jack is uh, 17 and, and he's six foot four Ooh. and he's a, you know, he wants to be a New York Yankee. So he works out every day and, and 
Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to hide the fact uh, it's been this long when you got a kid who towers over you. Are you sure he wants to be a Yankee? Has he considered like the Sox or maybe even the Braves? No, we don't like the Sox. Braves are okay, but uh, definitely Yankees. I'll, I'll take the the Braves as my adopted NL team for for having to live out here. <laughs> John, you know, speaking of of really cool things, you wrote this amazing article, and interestingly, interestingly enough your wife sort of tied into your review of War Sailor. We're going to talk about it. You're going to tell me about it. But before we do, let's take a look at the trailer so you guys know what it is. I never thought that the war would claim so many years of our lives. All this time that just passes and grows. To become something so unthinkable and terrifyingly vast. You should think about the fact that here you've had one day's work in the past three weeks. It's not good enough. Your children need to eat. How long will you be away? 18 months. Well, that's how it is. He's a cook, not a sailor. Look after him for me, won't you? I won't let anything happen to him. It's official now. We're at war. We have to man a thousand ships. We're sure-handed already. We'll be slaughtered out there. But he should be home soon, shouldn't he? Wait! There are people in the water! Slow down! If we choose to sail, it's only for those people back home. Down! Down! I could have fled from that fear. But I couldn't go through with it. Just leave it to someone else. Even though I probably should have. Wow. If you guys haven't seen it yet, it's a powerful one. It's a Norwegian film. Um, I was going to call it a little film, but it's not really. I think it's the most expensive film ever produced in Norway. Maybe not as big as some Hollywood standards, but it doesn't look like they skimped on the budget. It's a gritty movie. And it's one of those films that I th- I think it's the first one to look at it from the perspective of a merchant mariner during a war. Is it not, John? There have been a few uh, other movies, but this is this is about the the Battle of the North Atlantic. You know, General John Pershing said uh, way back in World War One that infantry wins battles, but logistics wins wars. And this was uh, the the biggest logistical battle in the history of the world. And without these ships, merchant ships going across and all that supported them, the truckers, the longshoremen, everything else, without that going in, you know, uh, Britain would have lost to, uh, to, to, to Germany. Um, we would not have had that foothold. We would not have defeated uh, the Nazis. So Incredibly important battle and an extremely dangerous battle. The U.S. Merchant Marine during the World War II had higher casualty rates than the Marines during the Pacific War. You know, more people injured and died per per hundred people than any other service. So incredibly dangerous war. And the American Merchant Marine volunteered for uh, this war. Um, you have people like David Yoho, who, you know, some of them lied about their age to get on these ships in this incredible danger. But the Norwegian Merchant Marine, which was one of the largest at the time, was different. 
guys, uh, you know, went out on these ships often because, you know, right before the war, the economy was really depressed in the, in the years going up, you know, coming right out of the depression. There weren't many jobs available and Norwegians have a, a you know, love for the sea and they know the sea. So a lot of these farmers and people who are out of work went out on these ships prior to the war. And then when Germany invaded, they were cut off from their homeland. So they were not able to contact their wives. They were not able to be with their kids. And unfortunately, um, you know, two things come from this. One is in my article, how we have not treated these uh, merchant marine sailors with the respect that they deserve. I mean, it's been 50 you know, it's been since the 1940s, way longer than 50 years. And the uh, U.S. Merchant Mariners of World War II just received the Congressional Gold Medal last year. And I saw that in your article, John. Other I, wars. I, I saw that it was until 2020. I was amazed reading that G Captain article that that didn't happen until 2022. Absolutely. The Philippine Boy Scouts were amazingly brave and they did some incredible things, but they received it before the U.S. Merchant Mariners. And these other allied nations have have still not received their recognition, one. And the Merchant Mariners of subsequent wars, like my my wife was on an ammo ship bringing the ammunition to the troops in, in Iraq in the start of the uh, and back in 2003, they have not, they, they get no medical benefits, no VA benefits. And most importantly, you know, no mental health benefits. The other incredible thing about this story is it's really the two aspects of World War II that are most important. Again, logistics wins wars, you know. Uh, infantry wins battles, logistics wins war, logistics won that, that war. And then the repercussions after the war, we did not understand the impact of PTSD after World War II came down. And, you know, my, my dad had a rough childhood, My grandpa had some, you know, was drank too much at occasions, sometimes had anger management issues. They worked it out. But this PTSD, you know, went down through the generations and it's completely changed all of our lives. Everyone who is who has a grandfather in that war, you know, they came back and they didn't talk about this. So this movie is incredible because it, it talks about that Battle of the North Atlantic. And it's really a three piece, you know, uh, a movie set. Das Boot is the uh, German movie that talks about the submarines the German submarines out there. Then you have Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie that talks about the Navy ships that protected these convoys. And then this one, War Sailor, talks about the merchant ships. And they're, all three are excellent movies, Dooner. Joe, I'm glad you mentioned the PTSD too. Uh, younger viewers may not sort of know this, but I remember even back when I was in high school in the 90s, um, it was we had like this one teacher who... Uh, Back then, they would call it shell-shocked, right? They would just dismiss people as, like, shell-shocked. And it would almost be like, ha, he's shell-shocked. He's hearing, you know, he's hearing bombs go off over his shoulder, like, in the middle of class. The uh, One thing I, I think that's great is, is that society's changed on that a bit. We've become much more sensitive to PTSD and actually understanding what that is. And it's not funny that the guy thinks that there's, like, maybe a bomb going off behind him. Like, he needs treatment. Absolutely. I mean, it's incredible. And it... And it, it sh- 
you know, it's an avalanche that has gone down through the generations. There are reasons why our, our, our parents were passionate about some things and really struggle with mental health issues and other things. And not just my family, the family of all veterans, right? You have these things now, you know, whether it's anger outbreak or depression or things, stories we hear about our grandparents that we haven't connected to the war, but you, you have to realize that these problems kind of have avalanched down through the generation. So to understand your family story, if someone in your family was a veteran, uh, you really have to understand, you know, this story, how PTSD and seeing these things really, I mean, I don't want to give away the ending, but this whole, um, this whole movie is about him trying to reunite with his family and then it gets, you know, reunited with the family and it's not what he expected. Uh, but he, he deeply desires that, but the war, the war has changed him. Right. Yeah. Highly recommended. That is on Netflix right now. Go check it out. If you got a Netflix account or I was going to say borrow someone's password, but that's not as easy to do these days. Um, Speaking of trade, I was talking to Donnie Gilbert about the freight recession earlier, John, and we were talking about truckload and, and some of the ports. But what are you seeing on the ocean side? Any Anything interesting out there? Any green shoots? Is it still as, as bad and bleak as it's been? It's it's un, uncertain. I would say uncertain. You know, we call it a confused sea out to sea. And it's really a geopolitical risk right now. Um, you know, I've, I've read on, on Freight Waves, an amazing article uh, by Greg Miller about how even though it's very short distance from China to Taiwan, those freight rates are, are exploding. You know, we have the oil tankers now that are, you know, there isn't much capacity in tankers now. Uh, even though the oil has not increased very much because these tankers are now going uh, greater distances to deliver Russian crude all the way to China. So that's kind of soaked up the entire system. And then as you have these outbreaks, you know, you have these, I mean, think about it, Junior. There are all of these problems that have, have hit us from inflation that really was caused by you know the the trouble in our ports and our, our freight uh, during during COVID and the lockdowns, and then you have an energy crisis in Europe. You right now have a food crisis. You know the UN's warning about people not being able to get fed, and before that, you have a fertilizer crisis. You know even countries like ours, it's affected by. Well, we live in an abundant planet. We live in an abundant earth. There's plenty of smart people. There's plenty of material. There's plenty of energy. It's really a transportation problem. And as these geopolitical risks shoot up, um, that the freight has to move around them, and that causes uncertainty. You have prices spike, and then collapse. Look at containers right now. You have container rates collapsing. Well, we had this crisis. Freight rates jumped up high, and people were paying uh, obscene amounts of money for a container. And what did the container shipping companies do? They took that money, and they immediately started building uh, new container ships. Now we have this huge influx of new builds in container shipping, and LPG particularly, that's now people are seeing in the near term, there's going to be this huge overcapacity, and it's causing freight rates to even drop further as, uh, you know, we anticipate this because people are delaying shipment of big things, waiting for these prices to collapse further. And on the other side, we desperately need new tankers, but there's no available shipyard space because the container shipping companies had so much money they could pour into these new builds. So th there's no easy answer, Duner. It's, it's, we are entering an era, we're already in 
uh, and it's going to continue for a while, this area of uncertainty. And the primary uncertainty is really the military. You know, will the war in Ukraine expand further? Will China invade Taiwan? Uh. Will there be uh, more export tariffs? Will there be nearshoring? You know, no one has answers to, to these problems. And these are, you know, logistics guys, as you know, need to plan these things out in advance. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to plan these things out. So that's driving the costs up in some areas, and it's collapsing the cost in others. Why aren't we investing in U.S. shipping? Or are we? Your, your Twitter timeline would be an indication that we're not. You're, you're always yelling about what we're not doing. What is the issue here? We outsourced everything. The U.S. Merchant Marine, the shipping arm, was the very first industry in the U.S. to be outsourced, and it's been outsourced for 30, 40 years now, and we've deregulated it completely. What you've seen with the deregulation of trucking and the deregulation of trains and you know all of transport, it really started with the Merchant Marine, and we've deregulated deeper and stronger in the Merchant Marine aspect than anything else. And it's deregulated to the point where no one understand, no one even remembers that we have a U.S. merchant marine, that we have a U.S. fleet. We have less than 80 ships now with a U.S. flag in international trade. And when you talk about the port crisis, when you talk about the short sea shipping crisis, I was so excited to talk, you know, that last week seeing you talk about the river system with sure. uh, Ross Kennedy. These are incredible resources that the America has, but we have a U.S. maritime administration. We call it MARAD. Uh, it's under Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And if you notice, Secretary Pete has been, you know, on top of the train thing, we can say he's got a mixed reviews. He's been on top of the FAA thing. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of unsettle uh, uncertainty there. The the head of the FAA just quit, saying things aren't going as well as we think in the Department of Transportation. But he's done absolutely no focus on uh, the maritime, a marine highway, short sea shipping, revitalizing the U.S. shipping and our ports. Um, and no one's reporting about this, you know, except G Captain. Uh, and it, it's probably the only criticism that I have for freight waves. I recently gave Rachel a little trouble uh, about it because no one, even the reporters, don't know of this importance of Marad and the Navy. The Navy talks about we can't build more ships because they're so expensive, and they're trying to figure out what went wrong with the shipyards, and they don't realize that this U.S. Maritime Administration under Secretary Pete. They are the responsibility for shipyard subsidies. They're the ones who are responsible for putting money into ports. Yet during the port crisis, you didn't see one Marad representative there. So this is this is a failed department within DOT, and DOT is struggling itself. Um, so th- th- this is the problem here. Well, is now we're going to have to kind of go lightning round. So in one minute or, or less, is it the Jones Act fault? Is the Jones Act good or bad? <laughs> This is so cruel. No comment. I don't comment on the Jones Act. Uh, it's it's so it's such a hot rail political topic. I call it the third rail of maritime politics. So you'll have to bring on Sal Mercagliano uh, for for the Jones Act. No comment. Well, all right, you're okay. You're the military guy. Is China going to invade Taiwan? It doesn't matter if China. China invades Taiwan or China does not invade Taiwan. The growing tensions geopolitically means that we have to be ready. And people say I'm I'm being patriotic and alarmist, but 
the U.S. Navy has protected not only our shipping, but shipping of all of these nations. So it's a global, uh, including China. So uh, we have to be ready regardless of whether they do or don't, because if if problems don't erupt there, they're going to they could get worse in Russia. They could get worse in Africa. And we need to be on top of that. We recently had an international incident with Belgian customs authorities. They destroyed 2,300 cans of Miller High Life for not being real champagne. There's Miller High Life slogan is the champagne of beers, but the Committee of Champagne, the Champagne Committee uh, with French and Belgian authorities said no. Uh, who's in the right here? Uh, Miller High Life or the U.S.? Is it champagne? Well, I'll tell you, I, in college, I, I would drink anything. Uh, Schaefer, Schlitz, uh, some really bad beers, including uh, High Life. And uh, that sure doesn't taste like champagne, but I wish they had poured out the Coors Banquet beer. In all my college years, there was only one six-pack of beer I never finished, and that was Coors Banquet beer. So I hope they follow up and, and dump the Banquet beer because it really is bad beer. Well, that's a good sign you didn't binge drink either if there was just that one case sitting there that you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get through. I've, uh, I've drank mouthwash when I was in, at my worst. John, it is springtime. <laughs> uh, we showed an evergreen vessel under a bridge, but it wasn't stuck. Uh, will an evergreen vessel get Suez this spring? We had a, a nice run of a couple of years of this happening, but so far, not yet. Well, we lose a ship every single week. I think last year I averaged 50 ships a year that that are total losses. It could be fires, could be grounding, it could be something that causes a total loss of a ship. So this is happening every single week. It's just not happening in the Suez. Uh, these things are unpredicted. They're black swan events for a reason. You, you can't predict this, Dooner, but we are losing ships on a global scale and no one realizes that. Um, so, you know, uncertainty again. Yeah, the name it doesn't the have the evergreen logo on, but that'll that'll get it more attention. All right. right. What real or fictional vessel would you love to have captained? Oh, that's a that's a that's a good question. I mean, I, I always have uh, my heart is in the uh, the battleships is always my favorite. Those big guns and they're, you know, they we had the, the USS Kitty Hawk Iowa. I, yeah. I, and I was just invited to talk at the USS Iowa and the port of Long Beach, LA. But then you have like the Queen Mary and in, in, in Long Beach, which is amazing ship too. So I'm, I'm not a sailing ship guy. I'm not yeah. big into the wood, the Horatio Hornblower. I, I like steel ships and those, whether it's commercial and, you know, the Titanic and, and other amazing ships that were built at that era or the big, you know, battleships. But I, I, I like steel and uh, steam. Yeah, Titanic might have uh, ended up differently had you been the captain or those spotters weren't distracted by Rose uh, kissing on uh, Leonardo DiCaprio like she was. Well, sir, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the show today. Where do people read more? Where do they where do they hear you shine a light on the issue about investing in, in U.S. shipping? Gcaptain.com is where I write all my articles. Uh, and then we have Gcaptain on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I'm also on Twitter, my own account, which I've been giving the Navy and Marad a hard time. Uh, it's just John Conrad as uh, my handle on Twitter. Dude. John, and remember, next time when I try to give you 20 minutes, say, Dooner, remember, we need 60 minutes because you never get to all your questions. So make sure to remind me next time. But it was great catching up with you. Thanks for shining the light on this. Take care. April 26th, this Wednesday, we'll be back. We'll be live from Freight Waves, Small Fleet and Owner Operator Summit. Go to live.freightwaves.com to register. Brent Hutto from Truck Stop, Evan Shelley from Truck Parking Club, Tyler Harden from TTA Fleet Solutions, Rachel Premack, and some special guests. Don't be a stranger and take care.